From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, for many of us, Disney is central to our holiday celebrations year-round, which includes visiting Walt Disney World or Disneyland. With the pandemic, this has been an impossibility for many of us. However, our guests today have created a truly magical book that brings the holidays of the parks into our homes. Craig and I are delighted to have Becky Klein, director of the Walt Disney Archives, Graham Allen, a leader in digital transformation initiatives for the media and entertainment industry and a frequent writer for D23 Magazine and D23.com, and Charlie Price, author for Disney Publishing Worldwide and production coordinator for Disney Television Animation. And they are the creators of a spectacular new book, Holiday Magic at the Disney Parks, celebrations around the world from fall to winter. Welcome to Connecting with Walt. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yes, it's this is a, I can't think of a better way for us to kick off our, our holiday season here than to talk about the, how Disney celebrates, um, you know, celebrations around the world. So for multitudes around the world, Including touches of Disney is central to their holiday decorating and celebrations. And, you know, I can't think of another company that people have welcomed into their homes and lives like the Walt Disney Company. What do you believe makes Disney so unique that it goes to the heart of people's lives and emotions, especially during the holiday seasons? I'll start with that one, if you'd like. Um, I think... The thing that's so wonderful about Disney is that it's all about family and tradition and legacy and, of course, magic. And so all of those things are part of everything we do at Disney. But particularly at the holiday season, they want to to bring back those emotions to share shared uh, feelings and, and legacy and traditions. And that's what we do best. And so I think it's kind of a natural fit between the two. And you know, it's a commercial enterprise, obviously, where it's a it's a business, but we try really hard to to uh, share the emotion and the happiness, and uh, people love that to experience that at the at the parks. Yeah, I think it really all boils down to uh, you know the storytelling and the details, and that storytelling is really present in all the heart that you see in all the different Disney movies. And it really translates well into the parks, especially at, at nighttime. I feel like that's when the parks really come alive and they really look to also touch each one of your senses. You're not just seeing the decorations. You're hearing the music on main street. You're smelling that fresh candy cane. It's every, if you, when you taste it, obviously that's one of the best parts is that yummy, yummy food. So every sense is really 
emphasize. And that really gets into your heart and that provides so many memories and people want to share those memories with their family members and their friends. And that creates even more um, memories and great joy during the holidays um, when you visit or even think of Disney. I think Becky said one of the magic words there, tradition. And the holidays are so much about tradition and reminiscing and remembering the past. And I think for many of us, it's, it's the neatest experiences we have had are in a Disney film, in a Disney theme park, uh, watching, uh, you know, a Disney television show as a family together. And so it's sort of natural to go back and bring those forward into our current holiday celebrations and just it rekindles those lovely memories of the past. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think that's what's so special about the book is that it, when you go through it, when we're going to get into it a little more is I know when I read it, uh, and it just, it brought back so many memories of when I was a little boy up until, you know, taking my granddaughter to the park. I mean, it was really, it's really, really captured the magic of of disney during the holidays what inspired you to tell the story of holiday magic at the disney parks well it started wow 10 years ago uh, over 10 years ago in 2009 uh d23 wanted to write uh, an article for their winter edition of the magazine it was the first year of their disney 23 magazine so they asked me to do just a, a quick article about how disney celebrates the holidays at the parks and um, I thought, well, you know, I should I should bring somebody in to work on this with me. And that person was Graham Allen. Uh, Graham is a huge fan of the holidays. He he surpasses me by far with his with his uh, joy in decorating and celebrating. And so I thought Graham would be the perfect person. He and I uh, did candlelight together for many years. That's how we met. And so I dragged him into it and asked him if he wanted to work with me on this article. And The minute we finished the article, we realized we had way more material than we could have possibly put in a, in a magazine article. And we both agreed that it should be a book. So we started kicking around the idea. And then a few years later, I'll let Graham tell the rest of the story about how it came to be. Well, I think it was the scale of what we found when we were researching magazine article was, uh, it was so clear to us that, um, there was, uh, at least a book's worth. We, uh, when we wrote the article, it actually took longer for us to cull the article down to the size that the D23 people wanted than it took to write the, <laughs> the article and find the material in the first place. Um, and that's no joke. Um, the scale of material, uh, not also the nature of the material, uh, that we, we found so many pictures that we just thought, wow, that's amazing. And we're not sure that anybody's ever seen that picture before. How can we give, uh, give that a platform? And, you know, we were originally thinking, um, Christmas, uh, that's, that was the genesis of this. And as we started talking with publishing folks, they said, well, you know, aim higher. Uh, you know, aim bigger, <laughs> bigger than just Christmas. Um, how about all the winter holidays? How about all of the fall and winter holidays? Because the the fall holidays, particularly Halloween, has become a particularly big thing for uh, Disney parks. And turned out, you know, Charlie had been exploring uh, similar ideas with publishing, and so publishing joined us all together and said, you know, aim really, really big with this. Go tackle all of the fall and winter holidays. And I think we, we knew that it was going to take more than one pair of hands to pull that off. Charlie? Yeah. And once we started collaborating together, 
we found so much material, even more than what we were originally working on it, that they doubled the book size because it was just so immense. We kept going further and further and finding more and more information. I mean, when you think of Christmas at the parks, you're looking at it since the opening of the parks that year in 55. And then Halloween, it's been a little more sporadic. So we just had so much to, to go off of. And that's why the way the book is laid out, it's 25, it's the first uh, four chapters are Halloween. And then the rest of the book is Christmas because it's just so immense uh, throughout the parks. Um, and we were surprised as we went along just by how many details there were and how much passion goes into this project. And as you can probably guess, we're all fans of Halloween and Christmas. So uh, we really enjoyed the experience of getting to dive into this subject. And it shows in the book. And in your book, Holiday Magic at the Disney Parks, there's a lot of history about Walt Disney and Disneyland in its early years. And Walt introduced holiday celebrations fairly soon after the park opened. Um, Disneyland was already successful. So why did he bring in Halloween and Christmas celebrations? Well, you know, Walt, Walt knew that repeat visits to the park were going to be important. And yes, he, you know, the, when the park first opened, there was a lot of interest and a lot of curiosity about the park. And so they were inundated with visitors and everything. So I think he didn't, he wasn't worried about, you know, having people come, but then, you know, how to spread that out and keep people coming, you know, at the time they would close down at different times. The park wasn't open every single day like it is now. But um, Walt wanted repeat visitors, and so he knew to get that, he would need to have fresh offerings. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of money left. He had to mortgage you know, a lot and, <laughs> and beg for a lot of money to get the park built in the first place. So they had other attractions that would be coming along, but he knew that having events would be very important. Plus, he had experienced um, the appetite for events in the local communities. He, uh, the, the Halloween festival, the Anaheim Halloween parade and the, the local things were very popular. And he knew that he needed the goodwill and the, and the interest of the local people down there in, in what is now, you know, Orange County, Anaheim area. And so he, he wanted these events. Plus, Walt loved, you know, Christmases and circuses and, and parades and, and shows. And he was, he loved all that kind of thing. And so I'm sure he wanted to offer it. So he, he started from the very, at the very beginning with a big opening day parade and then, you know, had the very first Halloween events that year in 1955 and then the Mickey Mouse Club Circus in 55 as well, which doubled as a Halloween, doubled as a, as a Christmas and, and circus event at the park. Yeah, now, now compared to today, the early holiday celebrations at Disneyland were very, were fairly simple. But for those of us who enjoy Disney history, the book has many historical photos of those early years. It, it really must have been something to dig through the archives and find those photos. Oh, yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite things. Of course, we have a selection of books in the archives that we, that are called the Red Books. And what the Disneyland events team used to do every year, they would, they would put together a book and they would bind all the information about the events for that year. And they got bigger and bigger each year. But we have a huge collection um, of the, these books and it shows everything, including the publicity photos that were taken for the event and the invitations and the letters that went out to the participants and, you know, how the parade was lined up and, you know, all these kind of things and all the details of making these events work. And they're fascinating. 
And um, so going through those, there were a lot of photos in there that we didn't have negatives for and Disneyland didn't have anymore. So they've never been seen. And so we were able to pull out some of those prints and scan them and put them in the book. So there's photos in there of the early years at Disneyland that nobody's seen before because they've never been published. So that was actually, that, that was important to us is that we wanted to try and showcase as much as we could that was new. It's sort of inevitable that some of the real iconic photographs have been seen before, have been seen a lot. We tried really hard where we could to find new images, images that hadn't been seen before. As Becky said, many of those old pictures, the negatives are long, long gone. And all that we had was a crinkled print uh, marked up with grease pencil that we had to uh, fix uh, in <laughs> Photoshop to make it usable again, but some of them were just too good not to try, not to try and, and digitally restore. Um, and we hope that that you know we can give some new life to images that have been buried in the vaults for decades. And we were also very lucky too because we worked with our different friends around the world uh, where they have photo archives at the different locations. And they were able to share photos in their collections that the public has never seen before um, from Disneyland to Disney World to the international parks as well. And that was a real treat. I know I only got to go to the Disneyland one, but Graham got to go to pretty much all of them and scour the different photos and see what goodies uh, were around and available. Yeah, the Slide Vault uh, room at Walt Disney World is a pretty remarkable place if you happen to like uh, (laughs) looking at the vintage uh, images. And, uh, you know, they were so kind uh, in letting me spend essentially two days there going through looking for uh, some of the gems that were on our hit list, things that we knew we wanted to um, include, but that had not previously been digitized or scanned. the company's actually rather good at looking after these old um, assets, these libraries of, of images. Um, uh, and sometimes you just have to go there. When it's on uh, slides, you have to go visit them in order to browse. There's no digital um, library to browse. And what I love about the book, too, is, you know, for many Disney fans, what's on the bucket list is to go to every single Disney park around the world. I just checked that one off my bucket list last fall. And when I when I went to um, the Asian parks in Disneyland Paris and but um, what what's what's fascinating, though, is, is that so you cover all, all the international parks and what their Halloween, Christmas and Easter celebrations are like, where. In, in some of those, they're in countries where that's not part of their culture, cultural or religious traditions. It must have been a challenge for the, to introduce these holiday celebrations into these parks where they were fairly unknown to guests. Yeah, you know. I think that yeah, each park has found its, its way to celebrate holidays in a local, culturally appropriate uh, manner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you and each one is a little bit different. So uh, at Disneyland Paris, uh, you know, Western cultures are largely aligned uh, with what we have here in the United States, and so these are all familiar holidays. Halloween, perhaps a little bit more recent of an introduction um, there, in the way that you would recognize it today. Um, but, you know, the Christmas and New Year, winter holidays 
um, you know, some of the traditions we know here in the United States were born in Europe, very familiar uh, uh, in Europe. In Tokyo, uh, they have um, celebrated uh, these holidays, Halloween and Christmas, for many years, not necessarily for the same uh, religious reasons, but as uh, reasons for family gatherings, uh, you know, reasons to uh, go on dates, reasons to take uh, vacations. And so, you know, Tokyo has introduced uh, holidays in a way that um, worked for their local local audience. Hong Kong also has, for, from its European colonial roots, has celebrated many of these holidays for uh, many years. Shanghai is the park that has perhaps the most interesting take because uh, the, these holidays really don't exist in the conventional way. You know, Halloween and Christmas don't exist in the conventional way in Shanghai. And so what they've done is they've created um, a, a sort of a mix of local Chinese traditions and Western traditions, um, and they're building on it year by year. Um, it's growing, and they're actually growing the interest in their local audience um, by presenting things that perhaps that local audience is not as familiar with. Yeah, and you would also find that uh, they all started very modest at the various parks to really kind of feel out um, how, as Bram said, that worked for that local guest. Um, for instance, in Disneyland Paris, um, it was very kind of simple to start. They were trying to introduce Halloween because if you look at Halloween, um, the version that we celebrate today was really started in the late 1800s where um, the winter holidays around Christmas, that's been around since the third century. So it has a deeper rooted tradition. Uh, so when they were celebrating at Disneyland Paris, for instance, their first parade, there was a ghost rider on a motorcycle and Mickey and Minnie were in the eye sockets of a skull. <laughs> Very different than what you have today. It was, it was a little more macabre, a little more uh, darker in tone. That was what, you know, the European group of that time was used to. And that's what they tried. They would introduce uh, pumpkins. Like you would see um, Jack Pumpkinhead, uh, a version of him from Return of Oz. So they were trying different things to introduce it to a culture and the various cultures um, focused on particular things that they liked, and that's what they started introducing more of. So they became very organic over time of what they became for those particular parks and particular cultures. Yeah, it's interesting. I was at Hong Kong for Halloween a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it's much more intense there with their haunted houses and all that and i i it was i was a little taken aback actually <laughs> they started doing that um, there's another local park ocean park um close by and they offered a little more darker tone so they want they felt it was okay to introduce that to that particular audience um so that's why they decided to go with those uh, haunted houses which haunted house did you get to uh, go to um oh god I, it's in the book and it's it was the one where they had the mad hatter from the, and yes, yes. and then and then they have someone pretending to be a guest who then gets whisked away and and all that and I have no idea what was going on. I think the devil was in there at some point. <laughs> that, that particular one was the nightmare experiment. It was supposed to be um, this one particular uh, professor was testing nightmares, and you go into nightmarish versions of Disney and Pixar movies. They did it uh, two years in a row and it got a little darker. I mean, Pinocchio and Chains. Was little, yes. Yes. That was a little, <laughs> a little dark. <laughs> yeah. It was. In- 
it works for the local audience, though. Um, yeah, it does. It does. It's what they're looking for. Absolutely. Even some of the figures I found in in Hong Kong along Main Street, particularly around the, the Central Plaza, uh, were uh, much less huggable than the scarecrows mm-hmm. that you would find at a U.S. park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they definitely take it. They take it very seriously. What was fun, though, because you do cover the Haunted Mansion Holiday, both for the Disneyland version and the Tokyo Disneyland version. It's fun to see that if they, what it might look like if they ever did it at Walt Disney World. Yeah. Uh, well, Japan has a similar track layout to mm-hmm. Walt Disney World. Um, and so they felt it was good to introduce it to that audience because they have a big affinity for Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, we were fortunate enough to actually get a lot of the original artwork. Uh, yes. Steve Davidson had it. Uh, he, he got it down from Disneyland and he let us borrow it and Becky's team scanned it. So we had access to all this great, wonderful material and great artwork and getting a chance to go through the attraction and going through it with one of the art directors was fantastic because we got to learn all these little nuances of why something is there or why they put things, uh, little homages um, to their friends and family. Like if you go into the attic you would see all of the different names. Those are all people that worked on the attraction or their friends and family that you see on all of the uh, name tags. So everything is, it's, it's amazing to just see all the detail that they put in. And Tokyo actually was the first to introduce Sally. Um, they have very strong Sally presence um, for that attraction and they, they love it. I got a chance to uh, go um, to that. Actually, we've all been to uh, the Tokyo parks um, and it is just one of the most amazing experiences to see something very familiar, but also very different when you go over there. Um, since they have the different aesthetic, um, they have all the different static characters of the denizens of Halloween Town. So it's got a bit of a different feel um, as you go through, but still a lot of very familiar elements. But yeah, we really enjoyed going through that attraction and spending hours in it photographing. Sometimes it was a challenge, as, as Graham and Becky would know, trying to get it with. Uh, the show lighting because that lighting is very dark. So we have to sometimes take multiple trips um, to go down there um, to get just the right photos. Well, you know, I used to collect photos when I was a boy, when, you know, when po- I used to collect postcards when I was a boy, especially when I went to the park in the early days to Disneyland, because those are always the perfect angles on the perfect conditions and that's one of the things that's so amazing about your book is because it is filled with i don't know how many thousands of photos that are all perfect and under the great lighting conditions you have taken those little disney photos of those disney details that we all wish our cameras could get close-ups of but quite can't do it so and also what i love is there's a lot of concept art in the book, like you were talking about, even of those floats Becky talked about, the sketches of some of them, those early parade floats in the book. And so that's one of the things I really enjoy about the book is, is that history. And, so there's 1,883 images uh, in the book. Oh, my goodness. Not that we're counting or anything. <laughs> And, and how many did you take? <laughs> um, uh, we took. <laughs> uh, 
you've got the sheet. <laughs> uh, yes, I actually do have the uh, spreadsheet up. Um, we took a grand total ourselves. So obviously, uh, we looked at, we lost count of how many pictures we looked at in vaults and archives. And there are, I think, literally millions of those photographs in the various vaults around the world. Uh, of the pictures we took ourselves on our journey, 80,872. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I can't imagine the process for selecting 1,000, <laughs> little over 1,000 photos out of 80,000. <laughs> well, that's why it took a while. That's <laughs> why <laughs> it took 10 years. <laughs> well, one of the things well, you mentioned with the professional looking photography, uh, Graham is a professional photographer, among many things that he does. So his eye and aesthetic for how things were laid out really inf- influenced uh, the layout of the book um, overall. So he had a huge hand in that for how it looked. Actually, it, it was, I think, helpful ultimately. There's that, 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 you know, Disney publishing people did allow me to do the layouts to you know, sort of place the pictures in the book. And it meant that I, I knew which angle I wanted as I was taking pictures of the recent stuff. Um, I, I knew which angle to take, or if I didn't, I would take like three or four different angles and then, arrange it on the page appropriately and there were some occasions where we didn't have the picture we wanted and so we went back and we would get if we could we would go go back and reshoot because if something's worth doing it's worth doing well and we hope that the book reflects um that sort of passion for doing it well and and you know telling a story we we were uh, acutely aware of the fact that we were telling our story with images and that we were showcasing the work of all of the amazing, talented artists who create the decorations themselves or who create the shows. We have to do justice to their amazing work. And so we felt it was worth, you know, being fairly painstaking in our image selection and in our, in our image placement on the page. Thank you for noticing, by the way. (laughs) We we set ourselves some parameters. We wanted to cover all the parks, all the resorts, all the cruise ships. You know, we wanted to pay homage to all of them at at both the winter and the autumn season. So we kind of knew the outline of what we wanted to do. But uh, Graham has, has said in the past, and I agree completely, that most of the photos that we took were from the point of view of a visitor at the park. We wanted to try to give you that experience, not so much, you know, we're employees of the company or we work for the company. We have special access, which we do. There are certain shots that couldn't be taken during working. You know, when, when guests were in the park, we had to do some behind the scenes and some after hours filming and shooting. But um, for the most part, if you, what you see in the book, you can see if you go Mm -hmm. down main street or you look Mm -hmm. in a window or, or you can, you can go and look up close at these decor pieces and, and, truly see that as a guest. And so we wanted to make sure that that was the experience that you get as you're reading the book. Were, well, there, and you, mm-hmm. sorry, were there any surprise shots that you got? Because like one of my favorite shots as I was looking through is the one that is from the yacht club looking out towards the, the, the lighthouse dock area that is completely foggy. And it is, it's like, oh, it has this mysticism to it almost. And that's that's one of those shots that you just have to get lucky and you walk outside and you find that it's a completely foggy morning and it just makes for this stunning photograph. Were there any other ones that you just that you you took personally that you just got it and you're like, I can't believe I actually captured that image. 
there, there is one that I'd like to give a shout out to our, he was kind of our, our fourth amigo, uh, Ty Popko, who, uh, works for the Disney archives. We were trying to get photos for one of the Halloween events. And unfortunately the angle that we wanted to get, which was, uh, at small world holiday, it was closed. They were starting to get it ready for Christmas. And Ty just started looking around and he found uh, a shot of a balloon and the firework, he, he positioned it. So when the firework went off, it was right behind it. And it was just in the moment. And it was absolutely just brilliant timing on his part to make something out of absolutely nothing. It was another shot too, that we, we it was very rainy that day. We were at, at Disneyland doing some of the Halloween uh, photography and we were up on top of the the deck, uh, the entrance area for uh, for uh, Ghost Galaxy, Space yeah. Mountain. That's what it was, Ghost Galaxy at Space Mountain, and we just happened to be shooting. And just as as I think it was Ty took that one too. Just as he was shooting, uh, there was a big bolt of lightning next to the next to the mountain, and so that picture is in there. And that was you know serendipity. It just yeah. it you know it just happened. And so there's some photos like that. There's others just really great photos that, that everybody took in that book that are just spectacular. So I, I love, and Graham took the beautiful photos that silhouette Walt and Mickey, the partner statue in front mm-hmm. of the castles. And those I just think are, are superb. And I, some of my favorite photos in the book. Uh, you know, the notion of luck uh, is uh, throughout this book, <laughs> being in the right place uh, at the right time. I will say that picture with the fog, um, uh, I was actually at Walt Disney World staying at the Yacht Club for work. Uh, I was not there specifically to do a a Christmas shoot, although, of course, I had my camera. And I woke up um, and looked out the window in the morning, and it was fog over the lake. And I thought, aha, (laughs) this is an opportunity not to be missed. So I was actually a little bit late for my first meeting of the day. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because I was determined to go out and get shots like that. I can tell you there's one other f- favorite I think I have in the book um, uh, that was also true luck, and it's um, it's uh, right at the end of the Christmas decor chapter. It's Disney Springs in Florida, and it's in the market building, uh, uh, and it's a reindeer sculpture. It's a sort of a metal reindeer sculpture with um, jewels, uh, sort of jewel-encrusted head. And just the way that the ray of sunshine is coming in through the roof, it hit the the eye jewel and reflected right into my camera. Um, and there's there's no Photoshopping involved in that. This sort of the burst of light, the starburst of that light is entirely natural coming out of the jewel and again you know i could not in a million years have worked out the the mm-hmm. angle of the sun <laughs> the angle of the figure and the time of day uh to to get that right that was um that was pure luck well it shows how passionate you are about the book that you missed you know you were late for your first meeting to get that perfect shot <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my, my team knows me well enough to, to not argue with that. Uh, that sort of excuse. Well, and and you mentioned that you're Disney fans, and, and that, of course, and that definitely shows in the book because you captured so many things that are traditions for Disney fan Disney theme park fans. For instance, a tradition for many is riding the Walt Disney World monorail to the resorts to see the decorations and the gingerbread houses. And of course, y- you take us to each of these resorts in your book. 
holiday magic at the Disney parks through beautiful photos. You take us through the Christmas storytellers at Epcot and, and have photos of all of those. Um, so when planning the book, how did you decide what memories and traditions to capture about Disneyland and Walt Disney World and the other parks? Wow. Um, well, you know, there are certain things, like you said, as fans, there are things that we particularly each love and and are part of our own personal history and, and traditions and memories of the parks. And so we kind of compared notes and said, well, this has got to be in it. This has got to be in it. And then we looked at it holistically and just said, you know, what is what is the big thing at this park? Obviously, Candlelight at Disneyland and now at Epcot were big things. And so that got its own chapter because there's such an amazing tradition and history to Candlelight that we decided to create its own chapter. But then, you know, there's there's uh, things like the Osborne Lights that were only at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And so it's like, well, we have to put that in and we have to put in you know, the, the attraction overlays and things like that. And we have to represent fireworks because those are so important. And it just became this kind of meeting of the minds where we all said, well, this has got to be in there, this. And we just made a list, really, a kind of a hit list, wish list of everything that we wanted to represent. And then we went back into our own memories and said, oh, we want Candy Cane Lane at the Disneyland Hotel, or we want the ice rink at the Disneyland Hotel and uh, things that are kind of buried in the past and some of the stage shows that we fondly remember um, and, you know, we, we dug out the pictures of those things when we were researching because we knew they had to be included. Graham even. That does. list came fairly early on. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. That list came fairly early on in, in our work of, you know, here's the big ticket uh, topics that need, we need to cover. And I don't remember a whole lot of um, debate <laughs> over that. I think it was it was <laughs> yeah. fairly straightforward to identify, you know, here's the here's the major topics that we have to cover. Yeah. And it was really fun to also hear what resonated with each one of us as well. Um, and that kind of also got us digging into uh, research. <clears throat> we did so much research online um, and various sources in various places and discovering more and more things because we couldn't go to the past. But fortunately, there's a lot of people that have talked about it or d- dove into it, including the Diz Unplugged. Um, so thank you for, <laughs> thank you for uh, helping uh, in your own way. Uh, but that really helped us because, you know, we wanted to get a full picture of what we were representing. We were very conscious of also making this uh, a coffee table book, knowing that people would then go and uh, look through it. But if they wanted more details, then they can go and look at the chapters in the text. We're kind of like the Haunted Mansion holiday of books. You know, September to January, you can keep us on your coffee table. There's there's something to see uh, throughout that <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, Disneylanders will be thrilled to see that you have the um, holiday show for Country Bears Jamboree in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorites. I love that. That's, Me too. that's marvelous. And of course, we love all of the attraction overlays. And But getting the newer things in like Jingle Cruise and and of course, It's a Small World Holiday and, and all of the, the older things that... that uh, you can still see Country Bear Christmas at, at Tokyo Disneyland, so that's pretty special, too. But we wanted to bring back memories for people and, and share what we love the most. But, you know, something like the, the pageant and glory of Christmas, which isn't at Lake Buena Vista anymore, because Lake, Lake Buena Vista is not there anymore uh, in, in the way we remember the village. But uh, it's really it's really 
lovely to just look back and remember those things if you if you experience them and and just to see wow that must have been really cool and maybe go online or look in in other places where you can find more information and if it sparks people to be more interested in the past that's something i'm all for Mm -hmm. and graham brought back a lot of goodies so we do have oh (laughs) oh those are Adorable. When he would travel, he would bring something back, and we're like, oh, please. We're so happy to get uh, Henry and Oscar, and, and then Trixie and the other different characters. Uh, yeah, but we all have an affinity for the uh, the overlay attractions, and uh, I, Graham actually got to visit the Tokyo version, which, is, uh, which had been running um, over time. They've kept it going compared to Disneyland, um, which went into permanent hibernation um, in 2001, and Walt Disney World 2005. So it's still it's still been around in in the years to come. Yep. Well, speaking of you know the, the the everything that went into traveling around each Disney park for the holidays and how you share stories and photos from each park, you know we joke about how people create spreadsheets and planning their visits to Walt Disney World. What was your spreadsheet like when planning out this book and travel to take all the photos of the theme parks during multiple holiday seasons over multiple years? We'll let Graham answer that one. Why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, I am a bit a bit of a fan of spreadsheets. Um, uh, it's true. Uh, I think the uh, the the real earnest shooting of sort of contemporary decor and entertainment um, started in 2016. Um, and I, I think with Disneyland and Walt Disney World, we sort of have ready access because Disneyland is local and it's not that hard to get to Walt Disney World. And I'm certainly in Florida, um, you know, at least once in the holiday season any year. Um, uh, the international parks took a little bit more um, planning. And this is where, you know, sometimes people joke that the decorations are up at the parks for a long, long time. And we don't think so at all. Eight weeks is not long if you're trying to make it around, um, you know, all, all the resorts. And so it actually, it was impossible to visit all of the resorts in one season. Uh, and so, sort of planned it out, uh, okay, how many can we knock off each year? Can we uh, check off each year? You know, I have the convenience, if you want to call it that, of of spending the holidays back in the UK with my family, and Paris is not that far away. So in 2017, I I ditched my family for three days during the Christmas break. Uh, Actually, on Boxing Day, I flew to Paris and spent three days uh, doing a, a Christmas shoot there. Um, then, you know, the Asia parks, uh, were generally, uh, for the Christmas holidays, two sites per trip. Um, so 2017 was Tokyo and Shanghai. 2018 was Tokyo and Hong Kong. And then, uh, in 2019, um, all three in a week. I don't recommend this, by the way. I did do Hong Kong and Tokyo, then Shanghai all in one week for Halloween. They're all great places. If you go, you should stay longer. Uh, there's tons to see, really. Uh, but uh, it, it, it was, you know, in the name of capturing and doing the research, capturing the, the 
photographs. And the teams at each location were just a treat to work with. And they were so accommodating of, of you want to do what in just 48 hours? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pre-planning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and there's something for every Disney fan in this book because you cover, as you mentioned, what goes into decorating the Disney Cruise Line fleet for Halloween and Christmas, which was a treat for me because I've, I've been on Disney Cruise Lines, but never during the holidays. I had no idea they decorated for Halloween until I read your book. And then you even took photos of the holiday treats in the parks and resorts for the Disney foodies. And I hope you got to go on a few cruises and I hope you got to eat and drink all the treats that you photographed because they looked wonderful. <laughs> well, you, you can talk about that one again too, Graham. You're the one who took the pictures on the cruise. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, on the, on the cruise ships, uh, there was no actual sailing because uh, uh. that would actually have taken too long. Um, the uh, All of our cruise line shoots were done while the ship, uh, each of the ships was in dock. Um, and that was a, an interesting exercise, too, because the ship is in dock for um, maybe 10 hours, 8 to 10 hours. And they certainly, the, the, the days that I went on to shoot, they let me on pre- pretty much as soon as the ship came in. Um, and then there's some things you can shoot while the guests are still there and having their breakfast. And then there's some things you wait till the guests have left. Um uh, and it was kind of neat to do Halloween and Christmas because by the time it was time to do Christmas, there's more Christmas decor on the ships than Halloween. But I knew where to go. Like I had my my little map uh, uh, worked out of what I needed to cover, um, having done the Halloween um, shoots. But they were all all of the cruise line uh, ship uh, on ship shoots were done um, in the space of about four hours each while the uh, ships were in dock. The photos we have from Castaway Key were actually done by Disney photographers. Um, uh, we ourselves did not go to Castaway Key, uh, but uh, the, the the Disney photography crew was kind enough to provide their holiday shoots uh, from the key. I've done a couple of those uh, those shoots when the ships are at the port, and you only have a couple hours to run on and grab your footage. And I know there's also like there's usually only about two hours turnaround when guests aren't on the ship and it is very stressful. So uh, congratulations on <laughs> getting what you did. Actually, I, that, that surprised me. I, I, I did not realize how uh, short a window the crews have to, um, you know, turn around the ships um, because the, the uh, guests will come back on as little as 90 minutes after mm-hmm. they've left. And those are guests that are doing back to back cruises. So, so they've, they basically just got off the ship and they're getting back on the same ship. Um, they will come back on in as little as, as 90 minutes. And also things like the Halloween tree, um, which Charlie might talk about in a moment. The Halloween trees on the ships are actually have an interesting story behind them. The Halloween trees and the Christmas trees, because there is a lighting ceremony on the first night of the cruise, everything has to be turned off before the first guests come back on. So that was another consideration of making sure that um, photography of things lit up <laughs> happened before <laughs> the, the lights were all uh, uh, turned off. Uh, Charlie, you want to talk a little bit about that, the Halloween trees? Because what the cruise lines have done with the Halloween tree is kind of an interesting story. Yeah, uh, how they're all interconnected. 
in a way. They all, they all are. They're actually, they kind of take their uh, germation based off of the Halloween tree at Disneyland, which the Halloween tree was a movie um, and a book by Ray Bradbury. He was actually inspired by um, the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. After he watched that movie, he's like, I never saw the great pumpkin. Like that was not what I was expecting. So he's like, I should write my own version. And then he wrote the Halloween tree. And over the years, he has been a big Disney fan. He knew Walt Disney. Um, he went to the parks, uh, just huge. He helped out with Epcot, you know, Spaceship Earth was something that he worked on. And over the years, he really wanted some version of himself in there. And they were able to put him in. In about 2007, they put the Halloween tree in. And that inspired the Halloween tree that you see at the cruise ships. Because like you said, Michael, they all have their own backstories of how they all grow and they grow throughout your time on the ship. So one night they'll be, they won't be there. And then they slowly, slowly grow. And then they have storytelling around it. So they really took it to a whole different place um, on the cruise ships and onto uh, you were mentioning also the food as well. One of the interesting things we found out um, talking to one of the food and beverage managers when he was a child, he went on pirates of the Caribbean and after he got off his mom asked, Oh, let's go get something to eat. And he thought, we're in the Caribbean. We're going to have some Caribbean food. And his mom said, let's go get a hot dog. Like a hot dog? <laughs> like, no, I want, I want something themed to the Pirates of the Caribbean. And this is in the, the 60s and 70s. Um, and so he really brought that in when he started working at the parks. Um, and that's one of the things we learned is some Disneyland's different for everybody. Some people love the attractions. Some people love the decor, mixture of both. Some people just really love the food, and that's their experience of it. So we wanted to uh, capture that in the book. I don't think if you put chocolate in front of Becky Graham and I, we would actually turn it down uh, because we <laughs> that's something we really all enjoy. But uh, Becky and I actually got a chance to go to the Central Bakery. Uh, if you want to chat a little bit about that, Becky. Oh, that was amazing. Just I wanted to eat everything in sight after walking in that building. The smells in there are just insane and Charlie and I went in one morning and, and went into the office of, of the head baker there and, and we're interviewing him for this. And I could just smell all of the, all those wonderful things wafting in it. And, uh, you know, we didn't end up eating anything, but boy, I tell you for weeks after that, I was, I, was, I actually came, came home and made gingerbread myself. <laughs> but um, yeah. And the candy kitchens and there's just, there's just so many wonderful, wonderful things to eat. And, and, and the things in, in the international parks are particularly interesting. I love looking at the foods, especially in Japan and, and uh, in the China park parks. Um, they're, they're so, uh, they're so into the look of, of these things. They're, they're special everywhere, but they really get into the minute details of designing these food and they're, they're edible art. Absolutely. And so, uh, getting photos of those was really important, and and uh, we got some really beautiful shots. I think Shanghai yeah. does really magnificently presented uh, feasts. Uh, you know the multi-course feasts where the, the just the the art of how the food is presented is amazing. You almost don't want to eat it. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I think we were really impressed with how they sort of wove holiday themes, holiday color schemes, holiday iconography uh, in there. Hong Kong does the same, but with just a little bit more, I don't know, maybe fun to it. They go for, you know, a little bit more cartoony uh, look, um, faces on, on food. Um, 
but still, they'll do a whole feast, you know, you know, themed to a holiday, themed to Halloween, themed to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing. Yeah, I think at Hong Kong, we had a, a feast where it was the dumplings, and they were all in the shape of Disney characters mm-hmm. and all that. They were amazing. <laughs> really elaborate. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But, well, speaking of going behind the scenes like that, one of my favorite chapters in the book is the one how you describe the process for how the parks and resorts decorate for the holiday. So did you, were you able to go with the crews and actually see them decorate the parks and the resorts? Yeah, there were a couple different uh, evenings when after the park closed, we got to spend the night there uh, shooting as they were changing over and putting in the the Halloween decor, but bringing in the giant pumpkin at Disneyland and also bringing in the Christmas tree for, for the uh, the winter holidays. Um, just we met with the horticulture teams and we, we got to go. Graham took a lot of really great pictures of inside the warehouses where they prepare and they work all year to do these things. There's warehouses for both Disneyland and Walt Disney world. And um, the, some of those photos are some of my favorites. I love the big, the shot that Graham that you took of all the big vats of glitter, just, <laughs> mm-hmm. just racks and racks of big, tubs of glitter it just amazes me and uh ribbon and the and all the ornaments in various colors all organized and i'll let you guys talk a little bit about that well sort of the scale of the operation right is boggling um you know for those of us that decorate a house (laughs) and what it takes to do that i mean you imagine decorating you know a resort uh it's a lot and it is a year-long task because this, uh, when the decorations are taken off stage after each season, um, they're all cleaned and refurbished. And for the most part, ornaments will be replaced. Bows and ribbons will be replaced, um, uh, you know, every year or every couple of years. Uh, and it takes uh, 10 months. It takes 10 months to go through and refurbish all the decor to get it ready to go back um, uh, on stage. And that's true both at Disneyland and at Walt Disney World. In Florida, they have over 300,000 square feet of production and warehouse space um, where they're doing this year-round. Um, I know I visited there, there the first time in the month of August, and they were at that time busily f- putting the final touches on the Disney Springs Christmas tree trail. And they loaded it all into a giant semi-trailer, and it drove off, and they park these trailers discreetly around Walt Disney World um, uh, in the course of the year with the decor that's ready to install. And then when the install time comes around, they just open the doors and there it all is. And this is a talk about spreadsheets. They have a ton of spreadsheets (laughs) that are tracking all of that uh, through the year. They know where everything is. They know exactly, you know, the, the, the dates it's going in, the dates it's coming off stage, the dates it will come through the production warehouse to be uh, refurbished. Uh, It's a fairly intricately uh, planned operation. Yeah. And, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go, go ahead. Continue. Uh, Yeah, one of the amazing things was their attention to detail and story. Um, At the Florida warehouse, uh, they have all the ornaments in, you know, categorized. And there's a reason for every ornament on every tree and every location. And they know exactly what the era is, what the history of that particular ornament would be compared to that tree. So they really go into the detail and the depth. And one of the really fun things when we got to go to the, uh, the Disneyland resort enhancement warehouse 
it's kind of like seeing your favorite things because you go down and you're like, oh, I know that tree from this area, or I, but they're all together. So you just imagine a row of Christmas trees and seeing things you've never seen before. Like how, where is that pirate's decor that's apparently at the Disneyland Hotel? I've never seen it. So it's very interesting. And getting to really meet all the their artists, the, the way that they put these things together, um, they really take a lot of care and a lot of passion and they love what they do. That's, that's what's evident about all of their work is they know how fortunate it are. They have that particular type of job and they really want to show that experience off to the guests. And that was one of the greatest things for all of us is getting a chance to just talk to them and hear their stories and the reasons why they love to work on the holidays and put everything in. Um, that really made an impact on all of us as we got a chance to uh, share and meet all of them. And it's also beyond that group. There's so many other groups we got a chance to work with. Um, the resort enhancement team would show us all the window displays and kind of go through why things are there. Um, the horticulture team uh, backstage, the technical teams, uh, they all open their doors to us. Um, and I think one of the things that we're most surprised the horticulture team is just the science behind everything that they do. And uh, they share with us thousands upon thousands of pictures and for horticulture, it's always looked at as Walt wanted to be eternal bloom um, when he first came up with that idea. And they've carried that through out the decades and it really shows. And we're amazed um, by how efficient they were, the timing, just <laughs> how they uh, changed something around. Uh, Graham had one particular experience when we were together. Of, uh, I'll let you tell the story of the uh, one of the hanging uh, flowers, Graham. Well, the, the uh, one of the flower beds. Uh, we were there the night that they did the first wave of Halloween um, uh, horticulture install at Disneyland, and the plants uh, will be replaced once or twice in the course of the season. But this was the first wave, um, and it's sort of an amazing blur of movement as they remove the existing plants and they till the soil and then they put the new plants in. Uh, I mean, literally minutes, single digit minutes, they will do a whole bed. And so they were doing the bed around the um, flagpole uh, at Disneyland on Town Square. And I noticed that the flowers were all in bud. This was the early hours of a Tuesday morning. I, I noticed that the flowers were all in bud. And I asked one of the gardeners, when will they bloom? And without missing a beat, she said, Thursday. <laughs> that's the, that's sort of the precision and you know she knew the answer and she was not phased by the question like this was something that was all part of the master plan of uh, when the plants would flower and then when the flowers start to fade there will be another wave of plants fresh plants that we put in yeah they can they can change out a flower bed about as fast as I actually water my house plants <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing it's nutty it's amazing to watch yeah, they're very talented people. You know, this, uh, something uh, Charlie said that I think really important to note is that nothing is an accident. Mm-hmm. Everything that you see is put there for a reason. And because it has to support or enhance the story of a location or at the very least look like it belongs mm-hmm. in that location. Uh, the first time we actually visited the Disneyland production um, uh, workshop, they were experimenting with window displays for Main Street and for Buena Vista Street. And they had them set up just on workbenches. And they were experimenting with uh, lighting or with just exact positioning of things like little signs. Or they had, they, they had one of the Halloween windows, they had spiders hanging. They were ex- experimenting with the height 
of the spider um, hanging or the height of the cloth that was going to mask part of the uh, the window. And uh, they were taking a day to work all that out. Nothing was just being slapped together. And they do all of that in the workshop so that when it comes time to do the installation, which is a they don't have a lot of time in the park. They know exactly what they're going to do. There is no experimentation on installation night. Installation night is get it in. Yeah, that's amazing. That's just amazing. And what I love is is that what you learned from meeting all of these people and seeing the passion they have for their work, you carry that over so well into the book. I mean, you share their passion so well in the text, what you wrote, and through the photography that that you have in there. And so it's so nice to hear you tell the story, because it reflects a passion that you communicated through the book as well. Yeah, so, we all just fell in love with the people that work at the parks. You know, we, we love them all. They're all that passionate about what they do, whether it's the events teams or the or the design or, or horticulture team, whether it's a holiday or not, the, the folks that work at the parks are just the most passionate Disney fans. And I think that was what was so amazing to me was getting to meet and, and know them to see their work up close and to appreciate how hard they work and how talented and artistic they actually are. And that for me was probably one of the best experiences about working on the book was, was that opportunity. Yeah. And they're also very generous as well. Uh, they didn't have to give us access to all their pictures. They didn't have to tell us all the stories. Um, they were also willing to share everything that they experience and the reasons why they do everything. So we felt an obligation to represent them properly because without them, this book wouldn't be what it is. They really made all the stories that you that we heard went into this book, all the pictures of things they would talk about, oh, we want to take that picture so that we can represent that based off a conversation we had at two in the morning on a Tuesday. Um, those all went into the book because we felt it was important to showcase all of their amazing talents. And I dare say there were moments where they uh, could see us far enough, right? Where we, we were um, pausing their work <laughs> so that we could take pictures or interview them where they were under, you know, deadlines, uh, you know, the, 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 night that we photographed the Disneyland Main Street window installs, my goodness, those people stopped to let us do whatever we wanted and um, take pictures and they told us stories. And yet somehow they were still, you know, under pressure to get everything done, you know, that night. The night that we shot inside It's a Small World, um, (laughs) uh, it took, we took three hours to do that. And the attraction maintenance crew could not really do anything because we had the work lights off. We had the show lighting on, animation off, music off. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask um, you about that. And, and, and three hours. And, and you know, I think we, we impacted their ability to get their job done that, that night. And yet, no complaints. <laughs> they were so thoughtful and generous and accommodating and letting us. I mean, I think when we said we wanted to take pictures, they assumed we'd be through in 15 minutes. They had not bargained for this. <laughs> group of people who were just going to inch their way through the attraction, drooling over every bauble and decoration and taking a hundred pictures of every bauble and decoration along the way. Uh, But three hours later, we emerged at the other end and, you know, the crew went back to work and they were so supportive of that. Yeah. And you have some great photos that you can't get from that canal boat. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was one of those I talked about. But most of the time we took it from a guest perspective, but we had to get up close on the inside. And um, I think, you know, just this book is a love letter and a Christmas card to the the employees and the cast members at the parks all over the world that, that make this happen for the for the guests who appreciate the most. But it's the, the fans who work for the company who do all this. And this is just our way of showcasing them. And I think I think we managed to do that. And, and this was for a lot of it was for them. Well, it's also from a fan's perspective of it. There's there's nothing like visiting, at least for me, I've only done Disneyland and Walt Disney World during the holidays. There is no trip you can take any other time of year that is quite like being there at Halloween or Christmas. And, you know, there are we have every year we have the Christmas Day parade where you get a glimpse of what the parks are like during that time of year. Not not as much for Halloween and then some of the decorating specials that have been done for Disney Plus and freeform and such but this book is just like a complete collection that is just like moments in time that as fans i'm looking through here and seeing like the uh the star bright holiday that was at disney springs for one season only that if you were there you were lucky enough to see it but like it's just i see that photo and it's just instantly right back in, in my mind of being there and seeing it for the first time. And it, it it's just the holidays are so much more special at, at the parks for some reason. I don't know why. So this book just captures all these different moments that I feel like anyone who has visited here, they, they understand what it's like. And this is just memories coming flooding back to them, whether it's they were there in the fifties and looking at some of those photos or, or even in the past couple of years and seeing the photos. So it is as much as it is a love letter to, to the employees, uh, the cast members who make it all possible. It's, it also is to the fans too, because it's just, it's, it's capturing. 50 plus years of just pure memories. So thank you mm-hmm. for putting it all together. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, I think we do hope that uh, if you have, for anybody you know listening, if you have a favorite Disney Park memory, that we have it in the book in mm-hmm. some form. We couldn't put everything in; there's too much. But um, even you mentioned Star Bright Holidays. I loved that show, um, uh, and uh, I, I, even though it only played one year, I have very fond memories of it. It was a no-brainer to, you know, include that. We hope that everybody has their something, their special memory uh, in some form in the book. And being able to share those memories with others, I think, is important, too, because if they didn't get to experience it, but you did, then you can then connect um, and show your experiences with that particular holiday. That, that's exactly what this book does for me, because my first visit to Disneyland was 1957, I don't remember it, but I was told I was there. <laughs> and uh, and Walt Disney World, my first visit was 1973. And what makes Holiday Magic at the Disney Park so special for me are these photos, because they just bring back so many happy memories for me. And I can share these things with my children and grandchildren that aren't there anymore. I remember that big star on the Matterhorn, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and. It, it, I, I, there were so many times I just had happy tears in my eyes from remembering family moments through the photos in this book. So it's, it's a very magical book. And I know that word magical gets thrown around a lot with Disney, but this book just 
you know, the, you know, the Disney is magical no matter when you go. The magic is there and the holidays make it even more magical. And I believe this book just captures that so well. I mean, you've just done such a stupendous job with it. I mean, it's Thank really wonderful. Thank you very much. So yeah, very that was our goal. And so, it's so nice to hear that, uh, that a fan who's, who is passionate as you are, uh, feel, feels that way. So that that makes it very special for us. But now looking back over the 10 years it took to create Holiday Magic at the Disney Parks, what's the fondest memory each of you will take away from this experience? Besides that you're planning the sequel to it, you know, (laughs) because you have 80,000 photos. (laughs) (laughs) Going and going and going. Um, As long as it's once every 10 years, I think. <laughs> um gosh you know i think twofold i just i just loved working with these two you know we had so much fun together and and it all went so smoothly i've i've co-written books with other people and and it's always a joy but you know we i don't recall us ever disagreeing on anything or having any kind of a you know at all. It was just kind of like, we're going to do this. What day can you go? Okay, I can do this and I can do that day. And then we'll meet you there and we'll do it. And we had so much fun together. So that, that for me was, was really special. Um, getting to know the people that we, we worked with at the parks, you know, and, and the folks who, who were, you know, they were so charmed by the idea of this book that they all gave it their all. And they were so generous and so kind to, to share you know, their passion and their stories with us. So I think those were the things that probably meant the most to me overall, you know, and then just getting to take pictures inside. It's a small world at the holidays was genius. So now I have all kinds of great decorating ideas for my, for my own uh, front porch. (laughs) (laughs) I I would echo Becky. Um, I was a cast member at Disneyland and security in the early two thousands when they're opening California adventure. So it was one thing to go through the park and explore by myself. It's a whole other experience when I went with uh, Becky and Graham because we got to explore, you know, having your friends there and doing these great experiences. It was very, very memorable to go into Small World, Haunted Mansion Holiday. Um, one thing in particular, um, and Becky and Graham know the power of this, is candlelight. Uh, I had only seen candlelight from afar on Walt Disney's 110th birthday when Kurt Russell was uh, the narrator. And we got a chance to go and participate in watch there uh when they were doing the rehearsal and there's something when you get right up against that stage and you feel the power of all those cast members voices it was i mean i physically felt it it was very memorable and it gave me an instant love uh for candlelight i can see why beck and graham uh have sung with that choir for years because it's such a memorable pleasurable experience to hear that and everybody in harmony together um, so, yeah, we had so many great experiences together, um, sometimes when things went right, sometimes when things went wrong, but we managed to, like, work them out, like, the day that it rained, where we're supposed to do fireworks, and then we got a picture of lightning and all sorts of other fun things to do. Um, so there was there was so many things, and everybody was so willing to help um, every time we had a, we had so many crazy requests um, over time of, hey, can we do this? Um, and most of them, they actually said yes, which we were absolutely amazed how many times people humored us during the process because there were some crazy things that we thought of that were like there's no way they're going to say yes to this and most people were up for the challenge yeah yeah i echo everything that the uh, becky and charlie have said there i think the um 
the the people aspect of this, the people we met, and especially working with Charlie and Becky, is just a remarkable experience. Um, I, I will not soon forget, you know, some of the travel experiences uh, because because there was you know some. Uh, Epic trips, uh, you know, trying to squeeze stuff in like that week, uh, doing all of Asia in a week, or there was another um, uh, week where I basically visited all the vacation club properties, Disneyland, Aulani, Hilton Head, um, Barrow Beach, um, and all the ones at Walt Disney World, and then covered three cruise ships all in the space of a week as well. Uh, The check-in agent at Honolulu Airport said I was the first person he had ever checked in um, going to Savannah, Georgia <laughs> from Honolulu. <laughs> <laughs> um, there you have it. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, just because I, I think for me, I love travel and it, it added to the experience to sort of be able to be able to do all that. But I will not, you know, soon forget some of those wacky uh, travel experiences. <laughs> Well, you know, every Disney history fan or Disney, every Disney theme park fan will enjoy many happy hours pouring through holiday magic at Disney parks, celebrations around the world from fall to winter. As we said, this isn't just a Christmas book. It's one you can display on your coffee table practically year round because you even have Lunar New Year in there. You have Dia de los Muertos in there. So I know we just focused on Halloween and Christmas. This would be a wonderful gift for that Disney fan in your life who you think has everything. Um, this is also would be a terrific family gift because it's something you can share together and reminisce about your favorite holiday travels to the parks. If you're considering a trip to a park during a holiday season, this book would help you plan that experience because you can go through all the photos and say, I want to see this. <laughs> Where is this? And you can plan create that spreadsheet <laughs> and, pl- and plan your trip. So um, so how can our listeners obtain a copy of Holiday Magic at the Disney Parks? Uh, right now it's available at most places that sell books. So you can get it online from Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. Uh, it's on Shop Disney, I believe, right now as well. So the the online most people are buying things online these days. I know I know there's a lot of online Christmas shopping going on right now, but you can get them through the online. Uh, but they're in bookstores as well, so you can go to your local bookstore and and get a copy as well. Um, unfortunately, they're not at the parks right now, but you can go to Barnes and Noble and and other bookstores in your area that carry them. Wonderful. Well, I I have mine. It's. It's it's always in my study right now. If I need to take a break from work right now, I've just been thumbing through it, <laughs> and then I get back to work. <laughs> so, uh, and it's good. It's good for a, a bicep curls too, just because you know it it's uh, it's quite heavy. <laughs> it is. I know. We joked before we went on air. I asked if you were paid by the pound. <laughs> well, we said we wish. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, yes, it is. It is a little heavy. It's it's, it's okay. We we, we uh, it means that there's lots of content for you to thumb through. Absolutely, absolutely. And one random, uh, one random thing. Uh, it's not. We're not quite as uh, ama- sexy as a hidden Mickey, but we're all hidden in the book somewhere. You can find. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah, now I have to go back through it. <laughs> find you. <laughs> a little scavenger hunt. <laughs> yeah. You'll find us. Yeah, so we're in, but, we're in a number of places in there, so that's fun. Oh, great! 
Well, you know, Becky, Graham, and Charlie, thank you so much for joining us on Connecting with Walt and for creating such a beautiful book. And, and I hope you'll be back on the show when you have another project to share with us. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, we would be delighted to. Thank you for inviting us today. You're yeah. welcome. And and from all of us to all of you, a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Same to you. Thank you for happy having holidays. me. Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Well, now it's time to take a look back at this week in Disney history. Well, here we are at the week of December 13th. So getting in, getting into the, some of the holiday questions. How did we get here? I <laughs> know, really. So lucky 13. Here we go. Okay, so on December 13th, 1975, the Walt Disney Company announced it will begin construction of Epcot in 1976. What year was construction originally planned to begin? Hmm. Well, if it was going to begin in 76, they announced it. I'm going to say maybe originally they wanted to start it as well in 1975? No, actually 1977. So they were early. They were. They were a year early. Well, that just doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) No, not at all. Okay, December 14th. Lillian Disney visits her husband, Walt, at St. Joseph's Hospital across from his studio in Burbank, California, on December 14, 1966. Although Walt is very ill, she is encouraged by the strength he shows. His brother Roy pays him a visit at night, and they talk about company matters, Epcot, and Disney World. Walt looks at the ceiling and points out the design of the new Florida park to a teary-eyed Roy, and after he leaves, Walt asks to have his bed raised so he can look toward the nearby Walt Disney Studio. After his visit, what does Roy order the studio to do? I believe he has them, uh, they they make sure that the lights are on, if I remember Correct. correctly. Okay. That's right. Roy orders every one of the studio lights is left on to shine throughout the night. Okay, December 15th, Walter Elias Disney passes away at St. Joseph's Hospital of Acute Circulatory Collapse caused by lung cancer, just 10 days after his 65th birthday. When the news of Walt's death reaches Disneyland in Anaheim, consideration is given to closing the park for the day, but instead it is kept open as Walt would have wanted and confirmed with Lillian. But the flags on Main Street USA are lowered to half-mast. That evening, Disneyland's Fantasy on Parade, a special presentation for the holiday season, rolls out for the first time. What heavenly event took place at Disneyland that evening? I can't remember if we just talk about this every year or you ask me every year, but it snowed. That's right. I think I ask you every year. <laughs> it's an unusually cold night for Anaheim. A somber Disneyland experiences a light snow. I always think this was a gift from from Walt. Yeah. I don't know why. I, uh, I, I, you know, I'm a person who who does believe. I believe in coincidences, and then I do believe sometimes there are 
are things that happen beyond our control. And that it, that one does seem like it could definitely be could be one of those moments where something that happened that we just really can't explain and mm-hmm. came out in the form of snow. <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. On December 16th, 1952, Wet Enterprises is founded as a private company owned solely by Walt Disney to design and create Disneyland and to manage Walt Disney's personal assets. Wet stands for Walter Elias Disney, of course. Already hard at work on the theme park project are Walt's first three Imagineers. Who are they? I know Harriet Burns was one. Mm Mm-hmm. And I could not tell you the other two. (laughs) Fred Jerger and Waithel Rogers. I probably could have got to Fred eventually. I don't Mm -hmm. think Waithel, though. And in 1976, Wed will be renamed Walt Disney Imagineering. December 17th. On December 17th, 1966, Roy O. Disney reiterates to Disney management that the Imagineering team that the company will continue to be run according to Walt's wishes. However, Roy does make one noteworthy change to the Florida project. What change did Roy make? I'm going to guess on this one, but I think this is when they added Walt back into the actual name because it was just Disney World and they made it Walt Disney World. That's absolutely correct. Roy stated that Walt's first name will be added to the title of the Florida theme park project, changing its name from Disney World to Walt Disney World. And he was very intolerant of those who just referred to it as Disney World. Well, it's a good thing he's not alive today. (laughs) I know. I know. But that's why on this show, we always refer to it as Walt Disney World. I'm sure I've screwed up a bunch of times, but it's just the environment I live in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're a product of your environment. Exactly. Okay. All right. December 18th. On the evening of December 18th, 1971, Walt Disney World's very first candlelight processional is held. The processional travels down Main Street to the Cinderella Castle forecourt, where a performance featuring 1,200 carolers from across Florida takes place. Who is the narrator? I have no idea. Oh. Film star Rock Hudson narrated the Christmas story, whilst Frederick Fennell, often referred to as the most famous band conductor since John Philip Sousa, conducts the orchestra. And a second performance will take place the following evening. I, yeah, I don't think I ever knew that, so I would have just assumed it was Neil Patrick Harris. All the way back to 1971. <laughs> well, he holds his age well. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. He has, he has a lot of work done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. December 19th, ABC TV airs the Walt Disney Presents episode from All of Us to All of You for the very first time on December 19th, 1958. Hosted by Jiminy Cricket, along with Mickey Mouse and Tinkerbell, the special combines newly produced animation with clips from vintage animated shorts and feature films presented to the viewer as Christmas cards from the various characters starring in each one. The show begins with Jiminy Cricket singing From All of Us to All of You, written by Disney lyricist Gil George and veteran Disney composer Paul Smith. Gil George was actually the pen name for which Disney studio employee? 
Oh, um, if I remember correctly, I it was um, it was the nurse, mm-hmm. um, Hazel Hazel. That's correct. Walt Disney Studio nurse Hazel George. Hazel George. She was one of the last ones, if not the last one, to see Walt at the studio before he left it for the last time. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he said goodbye to her. So. But she would also prepare his scotch mists, Yeah, I think, yep. on Friday evenings um, as they sort of ended the week. So. I need a nurse to do that for me on Tuesday I nights. I know. Isn't that a great prescription? <laughs> it, yeah, it, I. It's one of the things I learned uh, as soon as I developed a taste for scotch is that scotch fixes everything, <laughs> all problems. Well, yeah, well, I'm, don't overfix yeah, your problems I, there. <laughs> I'm joking. If you were, <laughs> if you are young and listening to us, do not say I need scotch because it fixes all the problems. Do not it's, listen it's, to me. It was a joke. <laughs> scotch tape and, and use it to wrap your Christmas gifts. There you go. It's or Hanukkah gifts. I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you did very well this week. Thank you. Thank you for making easy questions. You know, I finally uh, watched Mulan now that it's free to everybody on who subscribes to Disney Plus. So, um, so have you seen it yet, Craig? No, I saw that it. Uh, I saw that it came out, and I just I'm I'm too deep into Christmas right now. I can't I can't pull myself away to watch it. There's there's only a little bit here and there that I'm I'm letting sneak through that isn't Christmas related. Like, of course, I'm still watching The Mandalorian and mm-hmm. I'm kind of in a, a Star Wars mood right now, as, as well as Lord of the Rings. But I realized it's, you know, with Lord of the Rings, all the movies came out in in the theaters over uh, over December periods and same thing with star wars for the last the last five movies that came out well minus solo that was that was in may but sorry so the other four movies all came out in december so i feel like uh these studios over over all the years have made me want to watch some of these big epics right around the christmas season so uh, i'm i'm giving i'm giving a little bit of time to them but yeah i'll, I'll hit mulan on on january 2nd i'll, I'll give her a fair shot okay well, that I I won't say anything about it, but I think. Well, what did you think? I think oh, I I enjoyed it. Good. I thought it was fine. So um, the, <laughs> a glowing the, review. <laughs> well, I can't say too much because I don't want to ruin it okay. for you. Well, so I'll make sure it, when the next time they reprint the the Blu-ray boxes for it, I'll make sure that they add a quote from you saying it was just fine. <laughs> Yeah, I watched it with my daughter because she we celebrated Thanksgiving last week. Yeah. She had to work on Thanksgiving. So and I know she's been wanting to watch Mulan. So that's why um we watched it. But I introduced her to Prep and Landing and she loved that. Yeah. She hadn't seen those. We get yet. to talk about that soon. Yes, we do. But um as you know, Walt Dis it was the anniversary of Walt Disney's birth, his hundred and nineteenth anniversary on December fifth, and I, I attended uh, several virtual events um on that day. I went to I, I attended at noon on December fifth as Walt Disney Storybook Mansion Virtual Tour. That was the uh the one mansion it still left that Walt and Lillian lived in. And um, that I've I've seen the outside of it, <laughs> and um, but 
So that was interesting. The only problem is it was a terrible internet connection once he actually, the host stepped outside the house. And so I know he recorded it and it's on their Facebook page, uh, the Storybook Mansion, Walt Disney Storybook Mansion. If you go to Facebook page, it's there. And so they recorded it and I think they've posted the recording of it. So I have to go back and watch that. But from what I did see, it was very cool to see the interior of that house and all the little touches. And, and there's some famous photos there that we've seen of it, like, um, the, the giant tree, I think, with the girls looking over from the little, um, Juliet balcony that's, that's in the house yeah. and stuff like that. And that's the house that, you know, we've talked about. Roy had one next door and it was the house that was built out of a kit that, you know, was delivered exactly. in train yeah. cars and all that. And then the Walt Disney Family Museum, uh, an hour later, they had, uh, they had a, Disney's, I guess it's the museum storyteller. He, so he went through the history of Walt's life and it was supposed to be a tour of the museum galleries, but they just sort of had some snapshots of some of the galleries. It wasn't, I would have liked to have seen more of the museum, but they do have an online tour, a virtual tour on their website that you can do. So that was interesting. Yeah. And all that. I, I was pretty familiar with, with what had, was shared mm-hmm. there. And then the Walt Disney birthplace in you know Chicago on on what avenue is that Craig that I ask you every year and now it's not coming to me <laughs> Trip Avenue Trip Avenue Trip Avenue they had a um they had a virtual event where first it started out with Becky Klein yeah. who was a guest on tonight's show and um and Tony Baxter and so they talked uh, about it, and it was hosted by Dina Benedin and Brett Young. I had met them at the Walt Disney Family Museum a few years ago, and so, th- so there was a beginning where, um, you know, Tony Baxter he talked about how like Walt liked to drive the Carnation ice cream truck and the fire truck on Saturday mornings around Disneyland and on Main Street, and he he always talked about how his older brother, um. You know, he has his brothers who was like a mailman and how he could go fishing and camping and all that. And he was the Disney brother that made the smart decision about life because he could relax and Walt could never relax. And he felt that the reason Walt liked to drive around in the trucks and all that and the vehicles was because it made him sort of feel relaxed and feel like an ordinary person, you know, doing some, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And so, and he was asked a question about how um, architecture and Walt Disney, and he talked about how Walt grew up in the Victorian age. And so that's why so much of, you know, like Marceline had some Victorian architecture. The the Trip family house was the Trip house on the, that house on Trip Avenue was in a Victorian style. And so the, um, so that's why Main Street is Victorian. Even Frontierland, the Golden Horseshoe, that's done in Victorian style. Yeah. So that Walt had a love affair with this era. And and even like the back lot of the Walt Disney Studio at one point was all Victorian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Practically because of the films that they were making. And then, um, you know, and Becky talked about in the Peter Martin interviews how Walt tells his own stories and about his own life. And he would tell 
anecdotes each time so that the stories were a little embellished, you know, every time he retold them because he was a master storyteller. And, And she said it was just fascinating to see how the early part of his life impacted his career. And, um, and had the, how the Midwestern sediment and his, his, his early experiences in Chicago and his farming experience in Marceline sort of caused him to romanticize those eras and make them fun and inspirational for others through, you know, the park and through his films mm-hmm. and television shows and all that. And and she talked about how Roy was the unsung hero, which is why I always include Roy, you know, in our outro. Exactly. Um, you know, because Walt relied on him emotionally and financially to make his dreams come through. And anyway, and now I'm just trying to see if there was anything else in here. Uh, Tony was really talking about how children need to find their own bubble of creativity because you know, toys and games and all that from back in the past were such that children had to rely on their own creativity in order to interact with those toys and games. And now with online games and the media and, you know, video games, all that kind of stuff, the media creates the channels for creativity. And so today we have to force our brains to do the hard work. And so that we as parents, you know, grandparents and adults who work with children, we have to force children to conceptualize and and to create their own worlds. Mm -hmm. Because now so much of what they play with creates the worlds for them. So... uh, Anyway, and and then he asked about favorite projects, and Tony said it was when he. It's interesting. You think it would have been like Disneyland Paris or something, which is amongst his favorite, or Indiana Jones. But he was told his was when he was told the Splash Mountain was being built. He said because they expected there were going to be such huge lines for Splash Mountain, and then the, the traditionally long lines for Pirates of the Caribbean, that these lines were going to converge so that. All the trees and planters in New Orleans, New Orleans Square were going to have to be removed to accommodate these two lines. Mm-hmm. And Tony thought that's what makes New Orleans Square so special yeah. or all these flowers and trees. So he came up with the idea of the bridge, which allowed, you know, so people could pass over and under, which he said at, at the park and the Imagineers were skeptical of. And he says, I drive on freeways every day. <laughs> he said, it works. Overpasses work. And he said, so this idea allowed them to keep the trees and planters. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, really. So um, anyway, and let's see. I'm just trying to think. Oh, and Becky was asked, what's the most amazing thing that she's discovered in the archives? And and I I know this from other people that have told this to me, that when Dave Smith, you know, the Space was at a premium. So he was packing something up in a box that he would label. Well, if there was room in the box, he would throw a few more things in. And they weren't necessarily labeled on the box. Mm -hmm. Because I was told the photos of my day with the mouse were in a box that were labeled as something else. And the person told me he couldn't remember what box they were in. <laughs> so I thought, okay, great. Um, anyway, so she said they found a box in Walt's office that was all wrapped in twine. 
And they were so excited because she's, you know, now they're starting to catalog everything. So they came across this box that was just in the corner of the yeah. archives. It was full of undeveloped canisters of films that turned out to be hundreds of photos that Walt took of his daughters and of his travels. Mm. So, um, and the cool thing is, cause we mentioned this when we did, I think the D23 creating fantastic worlds celebration she said that they are cataloging everything in an effort to make them available to the public remember we had hoped Mm -hmm. that someday they would have like an online archive so it sounds like that might be something that that they are doing we can only hope (laughs) yeah and then the one thing that has got that has hit the interwebs that tony said was that this was a comment that was it wasn't quite in passing, but it was close to it. But you think the whole interview was about this and that a contract has been signed. Yep. <laughs> he would love to work on bringing back the original journey into imagination um, because the original showed creativity from the adult and child's um, perspective. And now children sort of perceive figment as being mean. And then he said, and, and you know, you could, you know, he would like to see the, you know, the, the old figment brought back and expanded upon. He says, well, you could even create a movie or television show about it. And oh my gosh, every, every other podcast that was there and every on, you know, every media event that was there, cause we were only one of several that attended it. They all ran with that. Yep. Yeah. As if he said, this is something that's going to happen. So. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not. It'll never happen. No, no. Well, maybe they'll redo Journey into Imagination. That would be nice. I, I mean, they will redo it one day, but not not for more Journey into Imagination. It just it, it it's got to make the money at this point, and there's nothing to prove that that Journey into Imagination classic and any take on that would actually bring them money. And so maybe maybe. Years, years past even both of us, it will resurface one day, but uh, I hate that money I talks. Know. I know. I just think the love for Figment would would do it. They could sell more plushes yeah. or something. I don't know. They need another sponsor for that pavilion. Yeah. But but I did win at that event. I won a D23 membership. Yeah, I saw. I was very confused since we... Uh, since we share the connecting wall Twitter for, for the show. And when I saw them tweet like that, you won, I was like, this is out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm hoping it extends my membership since I've, uh, I've, you know, been a member since the day. You've been day one. Yeah. So (laughs) if, if anything, this is, this is your ultimate gift a year of free membership (laughs) after, uh, after, uh, was that 2009? So like 11 years. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. It is, <laughs> and all the expos that you've gone to, destinations, yeah, all the magazines, everything, all the mag, all the magazines I have. Uh, yeah, so, and you know, this week, you know, December fifteenth, nineteen sixty-five, is Walt's passing, and and I'm old enough, as we, as you know from listening to this episode, I'm old enough to have remembered that, and um. I just remember that day. It's like one of those days where, you know, I remember when the president was assassinated, you know, 9-11, you know, events like that. But it was funny. It was just, I remember how I learned about it because I, I 
came home from school and I was always allowed to um, play outside when I came home from school before mm-hmm. I had to buckle down and do homework and all that stuff and chores and all that. So I changed out of my school uniform and my mother was going to try to tell me something, but I just sort of had my snack and sort of ran out the door because I knew I had to be home by the time the streetlights came on or the church bell rang for vespers. And she was trying to tell me something and I just sort of said, I'll be back. I'll see you. And, and, um, and I ran out. Well, there was, um, on the street corner to where I was going to the playground, there was a, um, you know, one of those little mom and pop grocery stores. And they had the old newspaper racks with the newspaper, you know, the newspaper mm-hmm. out on the racks. And of course, that was the headline on the San Francisco Examiner. That was the evening paper. Man. And in those days of that, you know, Walt Disney's, died and i just stopped in my tracks i bet and saw that now i was just because i of course if you've listened to past episodes you know that i i briefly met walt and um and so anyway so i was i just turned around and went back home i didn't even go out to play that day and um it was just such a shock you know, because you, when you're that young, you don't think of people's mortality all that much. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah. Especially because we kept, we saw them on television, you know, just like days Recently, before. Yeah. <laughs> and all that. So, so anyway, so it's a, it's a very somber day, but a, a day like on his birthday, December 5th, we, it's a good, to, it's nice to reflect on the legacy that he left behind and, Everything that he created in the community, gosh, the global community that he created that includes us yep. and everybody that listens to the show and listens to the Diz. So, so definitely as, as Bob Gurr and a few others have always said, you know, he's like one of the few geniuses that they've ever met. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Well. Next week, we continue our holiday season celebration with a look at our favorite Christmas and holiday films this year on Disney Plus and Hulu, because, you know, Hulu is now part of the the Walt Disney Company family. It's also our last show of 2020, so I'm sure we'll be making merry on on that I know, we episode. will do our best. Maybe... Yeah, yep. Yeah. You'll have your scotch mist. I was just about to say that. Maybe I'll even pour myself a a scotch mist as we sit down and talk about uh, all of our our favorite things that we can stream on on those two platforms. No, we did not include ESPN+. Plus. I do not have that. I'm not sure if there are any holiday-oriented programs on there, too. So you'll have to tell us if we're missing out. I have it. It's not like I watch it though. It's <laughs> always uh, so Carol's thing. But um, but Craig, I know the new holiday film that's going to be in your repertoire. It I think it debuts on December thirteenth. It's Lifetime Channels, a recipe for seduction, starring America's sweetheart Mario Lopez as the young Colonel Harlan Sanders. Oh yeah. Have you seen? The ads for this? I, I didn't watch the trailer yet, but of course I saw the the photo, and I <laughs> I promise you I will be uh, I will be checking it out. I need to get to KFC oh. and get my holiday bucket. 
Uh, I oh my gosh, do they have a Mario Lopez holiday bucket? They don't, but every year KFC <laughs> does. Um, usually around like they start around Thanksgiving and they do a holiday bucket that's themed. And this year they did. It's um, it's like I think they took a bucket. They re-released a bucket from '66 and maybe '76. And then they have their 2020 version that is inspired kind of by those those old retro ones as well, too. So KFC, actually, they, they embrace the holidays. Uh, if only I enjoyed uh, if only I enjoyed eating fried chicken more then maybe maybe I would actually enjoy it. But no, I just I just want it for the bucket. I love fried chicken. Oh my gosh! Uh, I, now I have a craving for it. I just I can't eat it as much anymore. It is. It, I'm I'm getting older. Things are disagreeing with me. Oh well, I don't remember the last time I had it, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. I might have to pay a visit to KFC. Yeah, it's, huh. if, if, but yeah, oh yeah, I'm checking this out. I mean, yeah. this is going to be Lifetime's highest rated show. I, I think ever. so. I think so. It's <laughs> it's smart. It's honestly. They they know how to market themselves in a good oh, way. So. You've got to see the trailers, though. Oh, they're a hoot. Yeah. I thought I thought it was a parody. Oh, <laughs> I'm as soon as we're done with this, I'll I'll give it a watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder: tickets for Give Kids the World Night of a Million Lights are going fast. Yeah. So check out the link in our show notes for um, those. And then we also have tickets for Give Kids the World, the Diz Family Reunion 2021 from March 25th to the 27th at the Contemporary Resort. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, as always, you can find me on all the different shows on the Diz Unplugged podcast network and then on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster, and you can email me, Craig, at WDWINFO.com. What about you, Michael? Well, I'm on Twitter at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm MichaelBowling, dash, connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm MichaelBowlingTheDiz. You can connect with me and Craig on Twitter, at ConnectingWalt. And you can send me messages at Michael at WDWInfo.com. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes, or DisneyPlug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.